0: Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. Last night, Joe Biden addressed the U.S. nation from the Oval Office. And that's not a very common thing, is it, Marion? Can you maybe put in context to start things off and start a discussion for this week exactly how rare it is for a president to address the nation from the Oval Office and what you think was behind this?
1: Well, you know, it's it's rare in that this is only Biden's second address to the nation from the Oval Office. I'm trying to remember, I'm pretty sure Trump did one or two as well. Uh, But but as we know, he never saw a camera that he didn't like. Mm. I do remember George Bush doing one immediately after the 9-11 attacks or in the days following it, when it was really felt that he needed to get a grip you know, and, and address the nation and, and show that he was in command. And I do remember him looking a little startled, understandably, I suppose, during that address. It is an effective tool if it's used very sparingly. And I think last night that it, did work. I was sort of intrigued, just for the gang out there, the thrust of his speech, and I see why it was smart strategically, was to basically say that the, the, the war in Israel, the war in Gaza, and the war in Ukraine are basically two sides of the same coin. They're both situations that where a democracy, a sovereign democracy, is being attacked, is the subject of an unprovoked attack by a neighbour wants to annihilate it. In the case of Ukraine, obviously, it was Putin who went in and invaded and completely just ignored the the Ukrainians' right to sovereignty and etc. And in the case of Israel, it was Hamas that breached Israel, that went straight through the border and, and launched this ferocious, barbaric assault which resulted in the deaths of around 1,400 Israelis that we know of, in, and, and 32 American citizens as well, and the kidnapping and taking hostage of somewhere between 200 and 270 others. And uh, we know at the moment that 203 Israelis have been taken hostage. That's the latest figure. So what Biden um, was doing was saying, look, you know, if if we ignore any of these, this is America, we're, we're the bulwark, we're, we're basically the pushback Against these dark forces. It's up to us to do it. And we have to stick by our friends, Ukraine and Israel, because they are doing the heavy lifting. They're at the cold face of this defense of democracy and this defense of a rules based order. And if we don't support them, We're just going to unleash authoritarianism, anarchy, chaos around the world. And you know what? He did make it sound plausible. I think one of the problems that he has had and that he's aware of that is looming is that there will be no problem getting $10 million for or 10 billion, I should say, dollars for Israel. There'll be no problem sending as many arms to Israel. They've already, the US um, um, armoured tanks have landed. They have the two warships in the Mediterranean, and there's a third one in the Red Sea. Uh, You know, uh, there is no problem in America there is no political downside to basically arming and supporting Israel to the hilt. But it's a very different kettle of fish now with Ukraine, because the Republicans and the Republican hardliners in particular are adamant that there will be no more funding for Ukraine. So I think Biden thinks that he's now looking for $105 billion or thereabouts a package. And within that package, there's, as I said, about $10 billion for Israel initially anyway. So I think around $24 billion, maybe more than that for Ukraine. That number keeps changing. And then there's also money to secure the border, the US border, and there's also money to help buttress Taiwan. So it's kind of a multidisciplinary package that's all about defending borders, defending sovereignty. And I think he feels if he puts it all into the same bag, it will be harder for the Republicans and the hardliners to unpick the bit that involves Ukraine and chuck that out. Mm. So we'll see how that goes. But of course, what will happen because there is no house? Yes, at yeah, The yeah, House is paralyzed. The right it. Yeah, it there, is,
0: there's no there's great great ideas. Yeah, we'll uh, get to uh, that. You, you really can't.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: he, he has no way of getting this money until um, there is a speaker. But let no, me ask you about before we get to that and what developed there this week. Why would he need? this amount of money for Israel. I mean, you put it in context, the size of these places and exactly how small their, inverted commas, enemy is, the group, this terrorist group. Why would you need all those billions to fight the
1: well, you know, I think that that is a really reasonable question. I think it's a question that the the Armed Services Committee and the Foreign Relations Committees should be asking, that they should, you know, I think Biden, and I really felt that the explanation about Ukraine was so long overdue. We've said this before, like he needed to have been out there a lot sooner before what happened with Israel happened and explain his reasoning for why he wants more money for Ukraine, for where the money has already gone, and what progress is being made. Now, it was only a fifteen-minute speech this evening, but he did say Ukraine has taken back more than half the territory that Russia had taken initially. That there have been real gains, and that the fight will continue. And so long as the U.S. keeps supporting Ukraine, that they will keep making progress. So he did lay out a hopeful scenario, and there are no guarantees, as we know, in the theater of war. But you're back. Back to your question, Charles. I don't know. America already gives Israel an unconditional three, 3.5 yeah. billion a year to do with what it will. I assume that this is... Now, I don't know whether this... Because what the US does is basically you can get an appropriations like that for 10 billion. It doesn't mean they're going to write a check for 10 billion and say, now, there you go. There you go, lads. Do what you want with that now. you know Usually it will come in the form of the value of military assistance. So what the US tends to do is, as it's done with Ukraine, it sort of offloads its old equipment, its last year's models of military equipment and tanks and what have you. It, it, and then it will replace them with, you know, with, with that's sort of more the tag usually of replacing what it gives away with newer Better models rather than actually giving that money away itself. Now, some money has been given to Ukraine for humanitarian aid. Like, you know, there's been quite a, a large chunk given for that. Israel will not need humanitarian aid from what I can see because Israel is not a poor country. It's a reasonably well off country. And it also has the most powerful military in the Middle East. And it could be argued does it need any assistance at all militarily? Because it seems to, you know, be. Be it, it really is, there's no army in the Middle East. That's the equivalent of Israel's, and of course it's a nuclear power as well. So it has plenty of deterrence going on. Not, not that anyone wants to even broach that particular topic. So I think that Biden may need to explain more what, what will be yeah. in that 10 billion and why 10 billion. Hopefully. And I but I think that it, it it's a symbol to me. It's more of an optic. It's saying we're giving this to Israel. Israel's our friend, and we are standing by them. We're standing by them symbolically, as in Biden going to Israel and standing shoulder to shoulder with Netanyahu, embracing him, meeting his war cabinet, meeting the first responders. The U.S. wants to show, and a lot of this has, I think, to do with next year, with the the, the prism of the 2024 election. Donald Trump did peel away a lot of the Jewish support from the Democrats. And, the, the you know, the Democrats have been traditionally the home of most of the about 6 million Jews and thereabouts that live in America, American Jews. Um, and they, they, they tend to be overwhelmingly liberal and Democrat. But there is a portion that is extremely conservative and very Republican, and that's the the Republican-Jewish Coalition and the Zionist um, Association of America. And the Zionist Association of America is... So far to the right that they inexplicably gave an award to Steve Bannon a couple of years back. I was there at the at the event and I couldn't believe it. I, I you know, this is this is the the white nationalist par excellence who coddles, you know, the, the groups that chant Jews will not replace us. And, you know, so it, it, it's it's something that that is a very extreme right wing group. But overwhelmingly, the the Jewish population in America, a lot of whom are in New York and in Florida, you know, as well obviously as. States in California, but they were starting to to kind of go more towards Trump and towards Trump's sort of bluster and his, you know. Sort of a lot of hollow promises, really, about Israel. But he did move um, the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, which a lot of um, American Jewish communities really supported. And you know, he did he did appear to be very pro-Israel. His son-in-law, Jared Kushner, his family are very good friends with the Netanyahu's. Benjamin Netanyahu used to have sleepovers in his house all the time, apparently, whenever he visited the states. So I think that Trump was able to use those personal connections um, and the fact that his daughter Ivanka converted to Judaism to marry Kushner, uh, was, well, you know, that, that it seemed that he was more in touch, if you will, uh, for a while there. And I think that Biden was very keen to get back that American Jewish lobby and the support, which the Democrats have always kind of counted on. And uh, so I think that there is a bit of that as well, that we're looking at this through through the 2024 prism, and he wants to be seen as an international statesman. He wants people to go, thank Christ it's Biden, not Trump, who's who's president when these things happen. But you know what? There is a thing, and I remember years and years and years ago, Leon Panetta said to me, and he, of course, was, you know, a really, he was the head of the CIA. He was a Secretary of Defense. I think he was the Secretary of State in one of the administrations as well. And he said, look, Foreign policy has never won an election for any president, but it can lose an election. So Biden's in this kind of bind where, you know, what he's doing for Israel, even though America so far seems to really approve of how he's handled it, it's not going to win him the election because what wins you an election are domestic issues. But perversely, and a situation like Afghanistan, the botched withdrawal is a really good example of how foreign policy can lose you an election because had that happened you know, before, you know, a couple of months before an election, that would have certainly damaged Biden's standing. You know, he plummeted in the polls after that. So it's a it's a strange one in America. Mm. As I say, you can do everything right and it won't necessarily pick you up any points, but you do anything wrong and by God, they'll deduct the points and lots of them. So I, well, I think that's where, where he's at at the moment.
0: This week, we cast the net out to our loyal patrons and members over on patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad, where you can get extra from your Irishman in America each week. If you want a double-sized episode, a deeper dive each week, that's the place to go. And one of the fringe benefits is that you get to put questions to Marion. Kristen Nice asks, is providing Israel arms or money for arms a big mistake long term? Aren't we, America, repeating history? How can we support both Israeli and Palestinian people, but not the war machines of the government or Hamas? how to walk that line. Such a sad, heartbreaking situation. Thanks for your question, Kirsten. What do you say to that, Marion?
1: You know, I think that Kirsten just sums up the dilemma, sums up the, the. you know, it's been said over and over that foreign policy is just a set of lousy options. And you try and pick the least lousy one and you try and pick the one that balances needs if, if you are trying to do your job properly as president. And I think that Kirsten just really hits the nail on the head there. Um, I think arming Israel, you know, the US has been arming Israel forever. So I think on its own that that isn't necessarily a problem, but there is a problem in that. And this bubbled up in the Department of State this week, that a number, now Anthony Blinken is a really popular Secretary of State, but there there has been, I understand that a dissent memo is being filed with Blinken um, to let him know that a number of Department of State employees are really unhappy with what they see as a very asymmetrical approach to Israel and Gaza, that America is is too overwhelmingly behind Israel, and that there is a perception that America is saying to Israel, we're behind you, whatever you want to do. Now, that certainly was the perception in the first couple of days. I think that Biden and Blinken have both dialed that back and they've said, We are absolutely behind Israel, but you must, you know, prosecute this war within you know according to international laws of war well already they've broken about you know pretty well there are about five main points about you know that that govern the international laws of war and how wars should be conducted so far as i can see already israel has in terms of it, the siege that it's it's imposed on gaza that's that's one broken already in terms of the bombing of civilian targets that's another one you know not showing adequate concern for civilian safety now it's all complicated by the fact that I think it's hard for people to understand that Hamas, basically, you've got the, the military wing of Hamas, the terrorists, the the, the, the butchers who, who killed all these people in, in Israel. Uh, but Hamas also, the political wing, also runs every piece of infrastructure in gaza they run the hospitals they run the schools they run the electricity the gas i mean it all has to come in from israel of course but so you, it's to me it's extremely difficult because when you know netanyahu says that they are going to eradicate hamas they're going to absolutely obliterate them and the us is supporting that you know it's supporting that but saying but be mindful of the civilians be mindful that the the palestinian civilians are not hamas but how do you do that how do you eradicate hamas and not cause Untold suffering and damage to the Palestinian people. When, when, as I said, you know, Hamas and the Palestinian people are kind of inextricable. They're so linked. They're they're so involved in in the running of of Gaza uh, that I I really don't know. But I think back to Kirsten's question. I don't think that there is an easy solution. I think what the US is trying to do, and in in ways you can see the contradiction, uh, what Biden was trying to do with his trip, which really didn't succeed i think it, it, as much as they would have wished was to say on the one hand israel have at it and on the other hand you know gaza we'll we'll help you to mop up you know we'll we'll give you we'll get some humanitarian assistance in for when israel does bombard you from when you know and so they're they're almost saying like that their role is to allow israel to, to retaliate and that then they will help to ameliorate the impact of that retaliation. And, it, you know, it's, it's very difficult in my mind to basically straddle that, you know, and, and, and to try and walk that tightrope really because How do you do it and what comfort is it to the people in Gaza who, I mean, uh, you know, about a million have been displaced in the last week. Um, About the the homes of about 500,000 Gazans have been destroyed now as a result of the bombardment. So how do you square that circle? Because, you know, Biden, look, I worked in the aid sort of world for four years. And I can tell you, 20 trucks. I was stunned when I heard that. I was like, does Biden have any idea of what that entails? Because 20 trucks of aid are nothing. It's nothing. And, you know, several aid agencies have come out and said that, that it doesn't even scratch the surface. You have a million displaced people who have no access to water, to food, to fuel, to anything. They're being told to go down south. The south is still being bombed. And, you know, 20 trucks, it's, you know... To give you an idea, at a music festival in Ireland, we will say the Electric Picnic, you would have three or four times that for, for festival goers for a couple of days, you know, in, in, in terms. Uh, so, and the danger, because again, you know, I do remember being in Somalia when aid would come in and people were so desperate that they would, they would storm the trucks because they were afraid there wouldn't be any more and that, you know, and... In this situation, there may well not be any more because these 20 trucks, this token is being allowed in with the caveat that if Hamas takes any of that aid or misappropriates it or keeps it for its, you know, the the, the militants, that then there's no more aid at all. That's it. That's your lot. And, you know, to, before the siege, the UN was sending in 100 trucks every day. This is before the siege, before all these people were displaced and made homeless. Gaza still needed a hundred trucks of supplies a day of food, water, and medical supplies just to keep the people from the abyss. You know, and this wasn't to have them living in any kind of comfort. It was just to to deal with the immediate food security needs and immediate emergency needs. Now that the situation has gotten exponentially worse, you know, they're being told after. Eleven days of nothing, uh, or twelve days. Okay, now you can have twenty trucks. And and I I don't know who was advising Biden on that. And maybe he thought, well, it's not even half a loaf is better than no bread. It's that a slice is better than no bread because that's really what it amounts to. So I, I, think, I think it's that very I've telling of, say, of yeah.
0: him, isn't it? It's quite telling of who he is as a leader. And that you touched on it earlier people are grateful that Donald Trump isn't in charge because we're pretty sure we'd know what his response would be. But isn't this highlighting what it is to have Joe Biden in charge, that he's essentially trying to pander to everybody and not upset too many people and in the process not quite doing anything uh, of any real significance to aid those people uh, he like there's loads of people that will disagree with me on, on that but that's okay too i yeah. just ha- have looked at the jim jordan situation this week and scratched my head and how much this sigh of relief has been let out because this man was you know two steps away from trying to overturn the election the idea that he would be in the chair and p- potentially in a position to do that in four years time it, is, it was terrifying. But he's still what, maybe.
1: He's it's, still it's, maybe. It's not, Focus through where, we, where we're at with this and what
0: exactly happened this week.
1: Okay, it's not. He got a, a pretty serious setback. Now, it, it's been insane, Jarlif. I cannot tell you. I was talking to Marco Modi, he's one of the Republicans from Nevada, and he's actually quite a funny guy. And he said that, look, there ain't 217 votes for Jesus Mary or Joseph coming out of that room. No one is going to get no, no, like, never mind a Republican. And the pro- this is the problem in a nutshell, that there is no Republican that the Republicans will unite around. You know, th- like, this should be easy for them. They should be able to say, you know what, OK, we don't like Jim Jordan let's just hold our noses and vote for Steve Scalise, or let's just hold our noses and put McCarthy back in, or Kevin Kearns, who is kind of a bit of a dark horse who might emerge in the coming days, but but are even, let's just give Patrick McHenry the speakership. Now, apparently he doesn't want, he's the pro-temporary guy at the moment, but they can't even agree, like on Thursday, they couldn't even agree to extend his powers sufficiently so that he could table a resolution that to say that, you know, the House is standing with Israel. They could never mind get an appropriations bill in, never mind get a spending bill passed. Uh, and so we're now in this situation where Jim Jordan on, on day one went out and, and 20 people voted against him. And he said, no problem, I'll come back. And he went back the next day and it was up to 22. And then he brought the 22 people behind it for a behind the closed doors meeting on um, Thursday. And they basically said, forget it, honey, we are not voting for you. And now apparently I've heard there are three or four more who might join that 22. so it's actually going the wrong way for Jordan He's having now he's having another vote very shortly like we we it's scheduled for 10 o'clock Washington time on Friday morning so that vote will happen but I do not see him getting the speakership and I think even though Republicans are absolutely the moderate Republicans are just pulling their hair out they are going, Dear God, what is happening? But a lot of that 22, they won't get behind Jordan now because A, there were threatening phone calls there, some of their spouses were told you better get your husband to vote for Jordan or else, you know, whatever they're, you know, I mean, this is the level of crazy that the Republican parties at the moment that they're, they're making threatening calls. Jordan supporters are making threatening calls to the spouses of the, the Republicans who have indicated that they don't want to vote for him. You know, it's not the way to get the votes. And apparently in this behind closed door meeting today, and sorry, a separate one, um, Matt Gaetz almost came very close to getting punched hard twice by two different congressmen. One was Mike Bost, who's the Illinois Republican, who's a bit of a hothead. Um, And then I, I, I heard that another... A uh, Republican who wasn't identified to me um, was also dragged away after he made a lunge at Gates as he was going out the door as he was storming off. Um, Jesus! So, you know, Gates he, was asked he, about he this. Did he didn't deny it. He like he didn't deny that, that. And he said, "Well, I, you know, I didn't see it as a lunge, but you know, he wasn't happy. Yeah, whatever." You. It, so, this is the dysfunction that you have in the middle of, you know, this crisis where there is a real. Problem. And I think that this is where Biden's statesmanship hopefully will come into play because the big thing now just is to stop this war from escalating. The big thing is to stop Hezbollah from getting involved because Hamas is, you know, compared to Hezbollah, Hamas is not well-trained, they're not well-equipped, and there are far fewer of them, and they're not well-disciplined. Hezbollah has a 100,000-strong fighting force. They have at least 150,000 rockets and missiles lined up on, on their southern border. And um, If Hezbollah got involved, it would, of course, drag Lebanon in. It would. Uh, it, it's it's unthinkable, uh, but if there is carnage on the ground and if there is a ground invasion that you know where where all of this um, develops, then it's very possible that Hezbollah could get involved. We saw that the Houthi um, extremists, who are supported by Iran were were lobbing missiles towards Israel as well today. Um, An American warship in the Red Sea shut them down. American soldiers were attacked in Syria. There was another attack on on some American soldiers in Iraq. So, you you know, this thing is really heating up. And I think, and I digress from what we're talking about there, but I think that that is Biden's main concern is to contain this. And I think that the problem is he needs the Republicans, he needs the House, he needs a spending bill, he needs, you know, people are watching, Putin, Z, all of these people are watching, going, these guys, this is a clown show. Like, Mm -hmm. they can't get their shit together. America is unraveling. And it makes America seem, for all of Biden's sober talk and his statesmanlike address, you know, which will have been seen, obviously, around the world, and him making the case of why America has to defend democracy, you know, literally, just down the road from him, there there's a zoo. There's a zoo, and nothing is being done. And you know, there there isn't at this stage, the Republicans have to just come up with a leader. They have to, and Democrats have What are offered, the chances
0: of, of that? Like I do, like there's a I few things that I'm going, well, what are what is the forecast here? Because lads swing and punches at each other no. doesn't say we're on the verge of finding our
1: guy. No, not at all. And I I really don't know. I think that maybe there will be a consensus candidate that maybe it's going to reach a point of such embarrassment, which it should have reached two weeks ago, for Republicans that they'd say, OK, you know what, we're not, we can't take Jordan. And and I really think that the the, the prospect of of Jim Jordan as Speaker of the House is, for I think any sane Republican, just unfathomable <laughs> that, that, that this flamethrower and you know election denier and and you know, one of the guys who, after January 6th happened, after the riots, after people had to go running to safe spaces, he then came back and voted to overturn the results of the elections in Pennsylvania and Arizona. You know, even then he wasn't chastened. And and I think that, you know, to, to have him, I mean, obviously McCarthy was also an election denier and, and likewise, but, but I think he was seen as being... More reasonable. And, you know, Jordan, with this fake impeachment of Biden, which seems to have just disappeared, by the way. We're hearing yeah. nothing about that. I was going to that ask it, about that. That's it just, just evaporated. Yeah. <laughs> there, there have been no, I was trying to. Get hold of the Republican staff around the Judiciary Committee just out of curiosity earlier, and they weren't answering their phones. But Jim Jordan, who is chairman, I can tell you is not like he. at the moment he's got bigger fish to fry. So I suspect the whole thing is just being, you know, abandoned for the time being. But but I I the situation, as I said, where you have two wars, you know, one in in Europe, one in Eastern Europe, one in the Middle East, and it, Either one you know we don't know what could happen next in either one mm-hmm. and and that you have as I said, this chaos, utter chaos in America where America cannot govern itself. Yeah. It, it just doesn't speak well. it just doesn't you know in it's this- really serious.
0: In the second half of our discussion, we're going to put more of your questions to Marion around everything that's taking place this week, and it has been an extremely busy week. Come on over to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad to hear it. But I'll put the start, I'll put the question to you now, and you can come on over to hear the answer. You may remember five US hostages being released from Iran and the Biden administration agreed a six billion dollar payment essentially to release them i want to know marion has that money been paid over what's the plan here is surely this is being raised somebody must be talking about the fact that the u.s just gave iran six or didn't give iran six billion dollars when they're meant to be one of the key funders of Hamas, we're going to hear Marion's answer over on Patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. Ready? You have the cameras rolling. This is America.
1: A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You
0: encourage